Welcome to Feels Like Healing with me, Al Lewis. A podcast where I talk to artists about how creativity has helped them process their grief. The reason I'm making this podcast is because when I was 21, I lost my dad to MS. That seismic moment in my life made me decide to become a singer-songwriter. I'd been making music before that point, but never considered it a life choice or as a career. However, after the death of my dad, creativity became a solace for me and a way I could express both my joy and my pain. It made me feel alive in the very moment when I was confronted with the ephemeral nature of life and the devastating reality of loss. So I wanted to talk to other people who've ended up in the creative world, but who've also experienced loss, to see whether they have similar stories of why they got into creativity or whether they were already creative people and just happened to suffer grief. I hope during these conversations that I will come to better understand grief and why it makes us feel how we feel and do what we do. This is Feels Like Healing. My guest this week on Feels Like Healing is the award-winning singer-songwriter, Jamie Lawson. Jamie is originally from Plymouth, and in 2015, his fourth album, self-titled Jamie Lawson, went to number one in the UK album charts following the huge success of the single Wasn't Expecting That. Uh, but I first came across Jamie, and I was scratching my head to think when it was, and I think it was around 2006, I'd first moved to London, and I came across him at what is now no longer a music venue called Gingling in Shepherd's Bush, and uh, it was in an old disused, well, toilet, wasn't it, Jamie? Yeah. And- <laughs> And uh, and our friend Amity Fletcher had converted it, uh, or had been starting to run a singer-songwriter night there. And not only did I um, come across Jamie there, but also a young Ed Sheeran would play there often. And Ed and Jamie's life would uh, intertwine once again as Jamie became the first signing to Ed's Gingerbread Man record label. And that is what catapulted the song Wasn't Expecting That to be a worldwide success and win Jamie plenty of plaudits and awards. But there's also um, a a sadness to the backstory of Jamie um, in A Bit Like Me. He also lost his dad when he was very young. And so I thought it'd be good to talk to Jamie about that and the effect that it had on his uh, creative life and personal life. So um, hello, Jamie. First of all, how are you hey, doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. And thanks for having me on. It's really kind of you. Thank you for coming on. Oh, pleasure. So uh, we, it's, it's quite odd, you know, you just mentioning all that. And I just, I, I made this list of songs that I know are directly about kind of grieving and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, passing away and things. And I wasn't expecting that wasn't on the list. <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, I, I mean, isn't that strange? It's like I completely, of course, it should be on the list. I mean, cause, because and the reason it isn't on the list, I think, is because that particular story wasn't mine. Right, but it was somebody you knew, was it? Not necessarily. It was there was. I'm in it. I'm in that song. Um, there's a line in it about three kids up and gone, and that's me and my brothers. Um, but all there's so many little different people yeah people and and um um spaces time and spaces in that song um because uh for those that don't know it it's a song about um the meeting it's a relationship of when you very first meet uh to the the moment you say goodbye basically and so it's a whole life story and the the whole challenge for me was can i get a life story into this three minute pop Mm. song um 
so yeah that wasn't on my list uh amazing that i could leave that off (laughs) (laughs) maybe that song has become so big for you now he's like i don't want to talk about it anymore (laughs) no not at all not at all um obviously i get asked about it a lot because of for the reasons you said you know it was a big song but um yeah, no, I, I, I still, I love singing it and I still, uh, I have no issue talking about it at all. <laughs> Good. Well, maybe we'll we'll come back to it at a later point. Because um, I'd like to first start by asking my guests a little bit of history of, of when they first went to creativity and, and, and why they think that was, what, it, what was the allure to being creative. So do you remember when you first, I'm assuming, picked up a guitar? would be the first instrument you went to and it why w- you think you did yes it was um i had a guitar for my uh, when i was eight christmas when i was eight years old um and then i had lessons at primary school and when i left primary school i didn't play for about three or four years then there were rumors of a, a band being created at school <laughs> and there was a rumor that I could play the guitar, so would I like to be in that band? And I think about 20 kids joined this band, and it was <laughs> horrific. Um, and it whittled down to four people. So there was a school band. And uh, were you one of those and, four? And I was were one of the, the four, yeah. So I, was, <laughs> I played guitar and I sang in the band. And um, we, we, we played a lot, but we, what we did was obviously learn cover versions. That was the, the thing. But for whatever reason, I immediately started writing songs. And no one said, oh, we should write our own song. I just went and wrote a song. Because if you're in a band, that's what you do. But all that was all subconscious. I just went and wrote a song. So how old were you then? Like 14? I'd, I'd be 15, I think. 15, I th- yeah. I think, yeah. 14, 15. I'm not certain, but yeah, about 15. And, um, and, and were you were you consciously wanting to write about particular subjects or themes were there things going on in your life at that time that you felt you needed to um put down on paper or was it just um you just fancied having a crack at it and yeah i don't remember any particular themes as such but if i look back on it now what i realize is that i needed to do it and have needed to do it ever since so this whether it's just um the act of singing itself being quite a cathartic thing and the getting out, physically getting out of what's inside, whether you're singing about what is going on in your life or not, just the act of getting something out somehow is uh, cleansing, somehow Mm. just helps clear your mind or somehow helps calm you. And weirdly, Mm. the um, pandemic and um, having a boy, we had a boy at the start of the pandemic, just before it kicked in, just before the first lockdown. And um, that's the timing, isn't it? It was brilliant. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) it was perfect. (laughs) Uh, And what it meant was uh, I I wasn't able to sing. I wasn't able to Mm. write because that we were just exhausted with this boy and you know we were kind of stuck in the house and I wasn't working with others or anything like that so but I noticed that my mental health was going a bit awry mm-hmm. and I it took me a little while to work out that is because I wasn't singing and I wasn't working mm. and so even still now 
like from being 15 when I needed to do it then, I still need to do it now. Yeah. I think that's a common thread I hear in, in a lot of people that I've been interviewing is that that need to use that creative creative tool as a way to decompress and, and like you say, to, to calm, to help our mental health. Yeah, um, not necessarily to understand. Mm, it, it, I yeah. don't think it, it doesn't work things out. It just helps me calm, breathe, relax a bit. Yeah, true. So if we fast forward perhaps from that 14, 15 year old Jamie who's, who's entering into a life as a creative uh, person, you know, you come to that point in your life later on in your teens where you're thinking of what do I do? Had you at that point when you were a slightly older teen decided, right, I want to be a musician, a singer, songwriter, or did that come later? Uh, n- no, I hadn't decided that because I was from Plymouth. And people from Plymouth don't do those things. <laughs> there was no Dis- one from Plymouth who was in any way a kind of superstar singer. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone and Michael Ball, I think he became he was is from Michael Plymouth, Ball I think. from Plymouth, is he? I, I oh, believe there we go. so. Yeah. Well, he's a yeah. legend. There you go. But I, I didn't know of him at the time. But yes, he is. Um, he's the only other person I can think of at the minute. Uh, so, so no, I, I did go to art college, so I was still being creative. Um, I did a foundation course in art for a year, uh, which is basically where you try a bit of everything. And then I, um, I kind of landed in photography for half a year. And the reason I say half a year is because I dropped out of that course. And the reason I dropped out was because I was pretty unhappy. And, um, this was a, a kind of big turning point, really, in that I went to see a counsellor at the at the art college and she asked me, well, what is it you want to do? And I said, I want to be a singer. And she said, well, go do that then. As if it was that easy. <laughs> and it genuinely hadn't crossed my mind that I could do that. Yeah. Um, and that's... So did you take her advice then straight away? I did, yeah, I did. I'd, at, the, the, at the same time, there was this record out called um, 60 Watt Silver Lining by a, a, an artist called Mark Eitzel. Um, and it was on, I don't know if you remember going into like Virgin record stores or H&Vs mm-hmm. and they'd have the listening posts. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. on a listening post and every lunchtime I would go down to the Virgin store and listen to that record. And again, there's something in that record that I think was making me think that I should be doing something like this. And then I had that advice at the same time. It was like, okay. And it wasn't that, wasn't too long after that, that I left Plymouth and moved to London. At this point, so you're starting out your career. Is your dad still with you at this point? Or what, at no, what point my, in your life? So my dad's gone. So my dad died when I was 19. Um, so during, during that art college year, or just before... I can't remember. Was it a sudden death or did or was it a, a long illness? My dad was ill for as long as I knew him. Oh wow. Um so he had heart issues, um blood pressure issues. He wasn't able to do too much. Um and again, I think a lot of that early singing when I look back at it now is just um being in a you know, a kid being in a house where these things are going on and not really being talked to about it yeah. because they didn't then 
or mm. they didn't know how to, or maybe weren't aware of how serious it was either. I don't know, you know. Um, so just, you know, teenage angst and rage and non-understanding mm. of, you know, just not, not getting it. Um, and and you mentioned you were you know you were unhappy at college. Do you feel like now looking back that that would have been also a one of the obvious reasons why losing your dad you know a year or so earlier? Yes. Look, yeah. Now you mention it because <laughs> I hadn't thought it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I, I guess because I think losing because you were nineteen, I was. 21 when I lost my dad and I now realise how pivotal a juncture in your life those late teens early 20 that's such a um, fundamental time in your life when you're becoming an adult and when you lose a parent I think it it rocks the foundations of what you think life is meant to be and how life is meant to pan out uh, did, did you think that? The, the teenage years that you go through where you're trying to work out who you are mm. and you don't necessarily get on with your parents because they're your parents and they're not cool <laughs> and all those things and you're just being a teenager mm. and it, it makes me incredibly sad that I wasn't able to get past that bit to then get to know him mm. um, that still makes me incredibly sad um so, yes, that's a really tough age. It's a really tough age to lose a parent, I think. Do you think you dealt with it or, you know, do you think it factored into your decision to go for it as a singer? Because for me, uh, I'd literally had um, graduated a couple of weeks before uh, from uni and then my dad died and it sort of threw everything up in the air for me. And I was like, what, what, what am I going to do with life now? Life is short. Um, and I'd seen a bit like your dad not for my entire life but for most of my childhood my dad had been ill with multiple sclerosis and uh, which is a degenerative disease and so that had, I think sowed the seed in me to sort of grab life by by the throat and, and try and do something that I enjoyed do you think that's what you were aiming for as well to get something to get a life for yourself where you could feel like you were living there's two things i think one uh, i i think i am a singer because that was how my dad knew me <laughs> so it's almost like i just kept doing that because that was my one connection left um the other part of this is that had my dad been alive um, you know, I didn't really have any success until I was about 31, which is quite old in the music industry. <clears throat> and had my dad been alive, he would have been one of the few people to say, when are you going to get a proper job? <laughs> Nobody else said that to me. My mum never yeah. said that to me, you know, but he would have because yeah. he was of that generation <laughs> where that's what you did. You know, yeah. all right, you've given it a go now. Come on now. You know, so I wouldn't yeah. have been able to have the success I'd had had he been yeah. around unless I would have ignored him completely and fallen out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of weird. I was just saying, did you, do you think you went into music? Were you, were you searching for that, that 
that career that would fulfill you in life and give you purpose and meaning it was very important that i did something that i enjoyed because mm. um there was very little money in the house and the house was not a happy house in that way you know there was a, it was a struggle i think and i thought well i'm not going to let money bother me i just won't have any that's fine <laughs> so that was it it's like i don't mind not having any money as long as i'm doing what it is i want to do what mm. i enjoy doing which was essentially singing and playing i'll be all right and i stood by it and i had no plan b whatsoever very luckily things came my way so if we look at, at your creative output then from from that move to london um do you did you did you broach broach the subject of your dad in in those early years of your songwriting career i had a friend uh a friend of my mum's actually say to me when my dad passed that um you know you'll have lots to write about you can write about this in a good you know in a, an encouraging way i suppose yeah but actually uh to my knowledge i only wrote two songs that's what i remember in that period of the you know the following year mm. and then i i didn't really write anything about that directly um for must be 15 maybe even 20 years mm. um now when i look back at songs that have not been released um and you know old notes and things like that in notebooks i think it's everywhere i can see yeah. it i can see it all over the place but those songs never made it out into the world and why do you think that was do i you don't think know to be honest maybe that they just weren't good enough songs mm. you know hopefully i always picked the best songs i'd written at that point and i wonder if that was it but it wasn't until the happy accidents record that i felt that maybe i'd had some success with the jamie lawson record and yeah. which was the previous record and suddenly i felt a bit more confident in life a mm. bit more validated that what i'd been looking for all this time what i'd been trying for this time had come off and mm. you know had some uh reaction to it and you know people seemed to like it once they finally heard it and maybe because of that, I'd also, uh, you know, met my wife and got married, um, which was a huge thing in terms of giving me a safety net, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an emotional safety net. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it wasn't until the Happy Accidents record where it was on my mind in almost every session that I walked into because I was doing a lot of co-writing uh, when you say it was on your mind, as in, like, you were thinking of your dad or you were thinking, I want to write a song I was about thinking dad. I want to write about it in some way. And there mm. was a specific thing. There were two things. There were, um, I thought there was a song in the things we weren't able to tell each other. Um, and I had a title saying everything I didn't say or everything we didn't say. I can't remember. And weirdly enough, this is, this is what's quite strange about uh, co-writing as well is that sometimes you can go in with friends people that you trust and love and know very well and i still couldn't bring it up mm. for instance that's that title which everything i didn't say i, I took to ed uh, ed sheeran and i was co-writing with him and johnny mcdade 
and I'd known Ed a while by then um, and considered him a, a friend and we could talk about stuff but for whatever reason I could not bring myself to mention that this is what I wanted to write about really yeah um, and then so did you did you shroud it in the the illusion that it was a romantic person that you were I, I think that's talking what about. that's what happened yeah that's so we wrote yeah. two songs that day one was called everything I didn't say and that never got anywhere uh, and the other song was called can't see straight which actually was on the happy accidents record um, but then the other thing was go I did a trip to um, Los Angeles uh, writing with complete strangers <laughs> and then for some reason I go in with this guy called Chris Braid he starts playing this piano thing or I was playing this thing on a guitar and he's oh I love that sort of discordant thing and he starts playing it on the piano and I just go straight into it and I've known yeah. this guy half an hour <laughs> and I start singing the song you know pretty much yeah. as as and it was, it was a fascinating day because he must have seen what was going on so I told him the idea which is basically what what happened when I was 19 after my dad had passed uh, I, we grew up near a river, the River Tamar, and I used to walk down to the river at night, maybe at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, um, and sing at the river. I would go in, walk right down to the harbour, the slipway where the water met, met the slipway, and I would sing to the river. Obviously, there's no one around. It's 2 a.m. in the morning, and I don't know why I did it apart from I was grieving, and that's what mm. I needed to do. Um, it might have something to do with the fact that we scattered his ashes in that river. Right, yeah. So that might have something to do with it. Um, and so I, I told Chris about this idea, and so we wrote the music, and then he kind of just left me to write the lyric, whereas most mm. co-writers will go, well, what about this, what about this, what about this? <laughs> yeah. He was yeah, a bit yeah. like, I'm just going to step back here. And that's yeah. a really good sign of a good co-writer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's, right. who's not yeah. um, afraid to just kind of step out and give you the space to do it because he can see that mm. you're doing something, dealing with something. And so yeah. that really, Sing to the River was the kind of first very public um, song about about my dad and what I went through afterwards, I suppose. And so when it came to releasing that, how... How did you feel and were you ready to broach it in conversation? Or did you want to just keep it as a song on the album and let let the song do the talking? Or were you ready to open up a bit more publicly about it? I definitely did. I, I have talked about it in interviews um, and we did it on the tour and it was a hard song to sing. It was heavy and there were definitely times where I lost it a little. Uh, I remember somewhere in Europe we did it and we hit the big chorus at the end after the middle eight and they turned on the mirror ball uh, and suddenly all these kind of like stars shone and it was so beautiful um, and I lost it on that 
for sure. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, I th uh, again, going back to the fact that I'd had some success, that I felt this, I felt so much more comfortable in myself that mm -hmm. I'd, you know, I'd met Catherine, my wife, and um, I was just more at ease with things that I was able then to talk about these things. And how did that make you feel writing that song and putting it out there? Has it has it lifted a weight doing that? Or do you feel there's still more you want to say about your dad, whether it be in song or in other forms? Or did you feel like that song was a resolution for you? It's not a resolution because there was too much to work out, I think. Too much, you know, really I would need five years of therapy <laughs> which i really should go and do um you should man yeah. I, I can fully recommend it you know as someone <laughs> someone in the same boat who um yeah have i've been to see someone to just talk about dad and uh, it, it's really helpful and you often find that you have the answers or maybe not the answers but you have the understanding within you and a bit like you were talking about a co-writer who just lets you be i think the great therapists are the ones who let you figure it out yourself and they just know the right questions to ask but they don't have the answers yeah well mm. yeah did do you find that um it's changed the way you create i think it it was all part of this project that i've started with this podcast and also the album that i'm about to release it's all been one big one big thing and i was I was thinking to myself, well, I'd be a bit, it would be a bit facetious of me to sort of do a podcast and talk about this and not having dealt with it myself properly. So, um, yeah, I think it has, a bit like you were talking about in terms of having that emotional safety net. I think, similar to you, I've recently become a dad and I think that family support network has given me to the... Um, the confidence to broach these subjects and and i and i felt that yeah now is the time for me to put put these things down in song and um so yeah i would recommend it jamie it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll look into that so do you feel like you 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 want to write more about him well, I already have, I suppose, I, um, on the following record after Happy Accidents, which was called The Years In Between. Um, the the song The Years In Between talks about um, kind of the things that he's missed since he's been gone and mm -hmm. how I was led on the journey of becoming a, a singer or a musician. And, you know, it's kind of questioning, was it the he had a John Denver record? He had this terrible record collection. <laughs> um, it was just awful. It was, you know, Nana Muscuri and uh, Andy Williams or, or Perry Como. But within this terrible collection was uh, a John Denver record called Rocky Mountain High. And I absolutely adored it and still adore it. Um, and I wonder if it was anything to do with that record, which is a very acoustic record. Hmm. And whether I wanted to, you know, was that the reason I picked up the guitar? Because I have no idea really why I asked for a guitar in the first place. Yeah, um, interesting. I was a big fan of, um, you know, the Jackson Five or and the Smiths and the House Martins, but it was always the singers that I loved rather than the musicians, you know. Mm. So it wasn't like I wanted to be Johnny Marr. I was always wanting to be Morrissey, really. 
So, um, <laughs> not so much these days. <laughs> <That's to be laughs> <said. laughs> um, so yeah, I, so there's a song on that record about that again, co-written with someone I didn't know, hmm. and again, he had the kindness to kind of slightly step back and let me go with it. But you know, what about this or what about that? But in a very gentle, kind way, and it's a song hmm. I'm pretty proud of. The stereo played Denver, Rocky Mountain High. The needles scratch the surface. I wonder if that's why. I'm still out here trying to work out what it means. Trying to fix what's broken from the years in between. I wish you could see how far these dreams have come. Would you recognize me from who I was when I was young? Some say I look a little like you. And again, I'm still kind of dealing with it, uh, even on the new record, which I'm I'm making. There was a song called "We'll Never Know" um, about would we have got through that period of not really knowing each other and become you know friends or something yeah and we won't know that we have no idea and but the song hasn't made the record but um it needed to be written on my part to yeah. kind of you know put it out there and how have you found the responses from your fans and the and the and the wider music public to these songs because Grief isn't a very sexy subject in pop music, is it? It's not, um, and I I can attest to also being somebody who, in the past, would have uh, shied away from or you know been nervous to approach um, music that dealt in grief and loss. Just in your for, own music, or others, in other people, I think oh, really? I would I would I would veer away from it because I would be. I suppose I saying to myself subconsciously, I don't, I don't want to hear that because I'm, I don't want to deal with that. Um, so, what, how, how have you found performing it, releasing it? How, what have people, you know, approached you and? Well, I guess said how, you know, ob- obviously, not obviously, but wasn't expecting that. Um, at the end of wasn't expecting that. If for anyone that doesn't know this, that you know, someone passes away um, suddenly. Um, but um, the reaction to that song uh, had been huge in terms of people having gone through it you know it was it was a lot of people's life stories Um, it was somebody's granddad or somebody's parent or the Mm. you know actually somebody's uh, story and um, I still now I mean even and even not bigger than that it also people that had it as a wedding song and then said and then it was also played at his funeral or something like oh that my you know god wow so i get messages like that it's obviously touched people in a way hmm. and been of use and yeah. i think that's my maybe my proudest the, the proudest thing that i have is that a yeah. song like that has helped someone in some way 
um, you know, get through a time or even soundtrack an incredibly sad time because that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, consider, I mean, I've always considered that particular song a very happy song and I think maybe that's why it helps as well is as it reminds people that there was a lot of joy in it um, throughout the life before the sad bit. You know, there is going to be a sad bit. That's a fact. <laughs> we were married in spring You know I wouldn't change a thing Without that innocent kiss What a life I'd have missed If you'd not took a chance On a little romance When I wasn't expecting that Time doesn't take long Three kids up and gone I wasn't expecting that When the nurses they came Said it's come back again I wasn't expecting that Then you closed your eyes You took my heart by surprise I wasn't expecting that I didn't know that you'd lost your dad when I first heard that song from you, but I, I had this sense that you'd suffered something because I felt like somebody who hadn't wouldn't be able to write a song like that because there is that intangible understanding of what you said of the fragility of life, but also the beauty of it. And I think that's hard for somebody perhaps who hasn't suffered loss or something deeply painful to understand and and like you say for other people who are going through it or have gone through it that the the comfort of a song like that can be immeasurable can it and and like you said there must be you feel like a job well done isn't it that you've you've been able to give people some sort of solace in that song well it's 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 one of the reasons that music meant so much to me i i Mm. think you know um, growing up with my dad being poorly and them not talking about it, my parents not really talking about it too much, meant there was this big hole of confusion mm. that music stepped into. Mm. And then so I got solace from music. And when my dad passed away, there was a record called Tiger Lily by Natalie Merchant that also had songs on it about grief, uh, a song like I May Know the Word, um, and there's a few others on it, Beloved Wife, I think. And I, I listened to that song, for that, the, that record, that album, for six months straight. Almost mm-hmm. nothing else. And it completely got me through, you know, helped me any time I needed it. So uh, music was that for me. So the idea that I've been able to do that for someone else means the world because I completely understand it. So do you feel now that you're in a place where you can broach the subject of your dad easier in conversation and with your wife and potentially looking ahead now with your son is it do you feel in a stronger place to talk about grief and loss and and your dad um it's a good question especially when it comes to the boy because i wonder i I don't know how i would Hmm. talk to him about it (laughs) Yeah. I, w- I I hope, I really hope that I'm just as honest as I can possibly be at the most difficult questions. Mm. But I understand now, having become a parent, why you're not. 
because yeah. why do you why worry your kid hmm. um but in not saying anything i know for a fact that it causes this other thing yeah that stays with you a long time <laughs> yeah through no fault of their own whatsoever so i i think there's probably a way of doing it i've obviously he's two and a half i'm not going to be <laughs> sitting him down and saying now about your granddad on my yeah. side <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? but um you know at some point one day he'll probably ask me about it and yeah. i will have to I tell mean, him have you got pictures pictures of your dad up because that's Not that was the first trigger point for my daughter really seeing yeah seeing pictures of him well oddly no i don't um one of the reasons for that is there are so few photographs yeah, yeah. uh even of me as a kid yeah there are so few um but you that's a good a good um a good uh point a good thing to do maybe i think it's um it's it's dealing with the elephant in the room as as quickly like you say as the question arises and i think what i've learned with my daughter is that kids are far more resilient than you give them credit for and i think you think that as an adult our oh, death and grief is too complicated a subject for them to deal with but they do understand more than i think we give them credit for and it although and although it is a painful thing to to explain to my daughter that my dad's no longer here there's there like you say the the opposite of that and not talking about it and suppressing it as we both know is is far more detrimental i think and it's Again, alluding to what you you mentioned in wasn't expecting that, explaining to them the the circularity of life and the the yin and yang of of love and loss, and I fully appreciate what you're thinking and and the the worry, but I I can not alleviate those fears, but tell you that it will it will be okay from his perspective. I'm sure. <laughs> well. I assume you'll I probably, won't have to find out for a while. It'll probably be harder on you. <laughs> I, I find myself with my daughter I, I, I sometimes, you know, so, yeah. watching Disney films, and I'm the one crying, not her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I get and, that uh, completely. Yeah, but yeah, I am so, quite. Um, I mean, in going back to the question, I am quite open to talking about it. Yeah, I don't mind talking about it. Um, like you say, there's no answer, and everyone's experience is different. I mean, my experiences to losing my dad are very different to my brother's experience of losing their dad, you know. Yeah, you mentioned your siblings. Were they younger or older No, they're than both you? older. They're both um, uh, seven and eight years, I think, older than me. Um, so did you, as, as, a, as siblings, did you manage to talk about him? Yes, we, we do, yeah. And yeah. We, we get on very well. And we have a really good kind of sense of humor about things. Like, we can joke about it. It's yeah. bonkers. But no, yeah, we I can. can see that. You know, yeah. it's and not in any, obviously not in any cruel way. But, you know, you can. It's And as, as soon as you, that first time you do that and you laugh, there's a real relief. Yeah. And a re I remember thinking that, feeling that of just, like it's you know, things are okay. Um, and in, in many ways, I think we're probably closer for his death than before it. Um, so, um, you know, I'm very, I'm kind of grateful that I have that closeness with them. Looking ahead now, as we 
wrap up this conversation you mentioned you've got a new album on the way you alluded to did i say that you had written a song about your dad but you don't think it's made the cut for the album yeah um do you think looking ahead now do you still feel that creativity gives you that sort of release that you were talking about when you were 15 and starting out is it still as powerful for you in your life and do you see it remaining so for the years to come it's just yeah i'm at an interesting point of touring is almost off the table it seems for me due to the pandemic and brexit it's too expensive to travel in europe and then obviously people are struggling financially at the minute so they're not necessarily mm. going to shows so i'm at a point where I'd, i i wonder if this will continue now i suspect it will and i'm just that's just on in my mind because yeah. essentially i can do nothing else <laughs> I've n as i said i've no plan b um so what else am i going to do and even if i stopped releasing music publicly stopped recording music i think i'd still have to do it hmm. because if i don't i go a bit uh, a bit bonkers a bit <laughs> I, I, I can't quite cope with the world you know yeah so yes it's exactly the same well thank you jamie for talking to me today and for being so open and, and honest about your your life and and your struggles with um, losing your dad and so much of what you said I can relate to so um, and I'm sure there'll be listeners out there who feel the same way so um, yeah thanks thanks a lot for chatting mate and all the best for the future pleasure thanks for having me cheers Al cheers for more information about Jamie and his music head to his website jamielawsonmusic.com information about the songs that I used in this episode are available in the description Make sure that you rate and subscribe to this podcast as it will help to spread the word about Feels Like Healing. Thanks for listening.